I want to begin with my testimony, and I wish I could speak with the thunders of heaven. I wish angels could accompany me as I say this, because I need from the very depths of my soul to declare a truth, and I hope the Holy Ghost will bear witness that it's true. I want to begin with this testimony. He loved the unborn child as well. Yep. I will talk, we'll talk about dating like two-piece puzzles. Do you ever play with two, do you ever do two-piece puzzles as a child? Like alphabet, like capital letters and lowercase letters or two-piece puzzles. Um, I have a granddaughter who's now older, but when she was young, she would love to play with the two-piece puzzles I made for this class. And so she would dump them out and she'd pick up one. Now, when she was two, when she picked up a piece and then picked up another piece and they weren't a match, no anxiety, no depression, no crying, no eating ice cream, this one's not a match. So tell me what my two-year-old granddaughter would do if these two aren't a match. She would just very casually put it down and... Try another piece because tell me what two-year-old, tell me what two-year-old grandchildren know about their grandpa's two-piece puzzles. Tell me what they have absolute confidence in. There's a match. My grandfather would not give me a puzzle that didn't have a match. Allow me to testify with every ounce of my soul that God did not reserve you for this time when he could have sent you in any age of the world. He did not send you now without multiple matches. A loving, omnipotent father whose purpose is family would not have sent you without multiple matches. Of that I testify. Now, you will pick up some puzzle pieces, and they will not be matches. But do not lose the faith of that child that knows that I know there's a match in that. I know Heavenly Father doesn't send His children to earth without matches. I say that from the very beginning. I believe that with all my soul. But let me point out another truth I also believe with all my soul. We believe that there are multiple kingdoms of glory. Our Heavenly Father wants His children to be happy. And whatever you want in eternity, there's a kingdom that matches. All of His children will be happy with whatever they want. And families are forever. And families are forever. So let's talk briefly of the celestial kingdom. Those of you who desire glory in the celestial kingdom, This line represents everything you have to do to be celestial. Every requirement of a celestial being, faith, repentance, baptism, everything that we talk about, hope, every covenant in the temple. We could talk about consecration. We could talk about chastity. This line represents everything you have to do to be celestial, to get into the celestial kingdom. Now, once you get into the celestial kingdom, there are three degrees. Those who go to the highest degree of the celestial kingdom become what God is and do what God does. So let me ask you this piercing question. 
These are all the requirements to get to the celestial kingdom. How many additional commandments to be in the highest degree? Show me on your fingers. How many additional commandments to be exalted over being celestial? Show me on your fingers. I want confidence. One commandment. The difference between celestial people and gods is one commandment. It's not that they ran out of time. No one runs out of time. It's that they chose not to obey one commandment. What's the commandment? What's the difference between gods and celestial people? Eternal marriage. Now, can I ask why? Why? Why is marriage required for godhood? Now, obviously, let me throw one answer out. Obviously, it's a numbers thing. It takes a male and a female to create. And if you don't have a male and you don't have a female, you can't create. So part of it is a numbers thing. I get that. Take that one aside. Why? Why is marriage prerequisite for godhood? So you can have children. So creation. Amy? Um, I think that there's a lot of work that goes into marriages, and being God is a lot of work. And if you can do everything that you need to within a marriage to make it work and to go through those really hard things with somebody and not run away, then you can handle what you'll do as a God. Same skill set. Do you believe that? Where do we practice being gods? Do you think we just, one day do you wake up and all of a sudden you're a god? You practice that over a lifetime. You practice being a god in the family setting. Every time I change a poopy diaper, it's, I'm practicing godhood. Every time I clean up, throw up. Every time I wake up in the middle of the night with a child who's scared and needs me, I'm practicing godhood. I practice Godhood every day of my life as I learn how to be an earthly father so that I can become a heavenly father. So if you have an enemy to your soul, if there is an enemy to soul, your soul, which I testify you do, you have an enemy who wants to destroy your Godhood. What is the target to destroy someone's Godhood? Their marriage. You want to destroy someone's godhood. You mess with their marriage. Now, let me ask you a question. When would be the best? What would be the best strategy to take out a marriage? My wife and I have been married for 32 years. 32 years. Do you think the best way is to wait till they've been married for 32 years and then attack them? Attack the people who've been married for 32 years? Or would there be a better strategy? What's the better strategy? Dakota? I'm going to take them out before it forms. The very best way to mess with your marriage is while you're dating. So is it safe to say that the most important target that your enemy is after is to mess up your dating. 
Because if he messes up your dating, he messes up your marriage. And if he messes up your marriage, he messes up your godhood. He strikes first where? At dating. And then if you get through that successfully, if you pair properly, then he's going to strike at that marriage. But he's going to try first to take out the marriage before it forms. So allow me to play a card. Allow me to play the 30-year teacher card. Allow me to say that I have been teaching this age group for 30 years. I I have 10 children. I have watched five of them get married. And nothing is more important to me than teaching you how to be gods and to overcome the enemy's attempts to destroy you. I would like to put 30 years of observation into one class and say, can I raise my hand? Can I raise the warning flag and say, I have identified 10 pitfalls, 10 pitfalls that you and I fall into, that human beings fall into in that dating. Common pitfalls, things we do wrong And we need to avoid the pitfalls. If you went to Africa, wouldn't you want to know where the water holes are that have the alligators? And if you knew an alligator was in a water hole, what would you do? You step very lightly around it, right? Allow me to tell you the water holes that have the alligators in them. And I've watched way too many people I care about fall into them. So tonight, let me introduce pitfall number one. Oh, sorry. Let me introduce pitfall number one. Let me introduce what I call the pyramid of human relationships. I will use this every night we meet. We will talk a lot about this pyramid. Allow me to classify relationships into six. Six relationships. One, two, three, four, five, six. All right, you cannot. He's also killing babies by abortion. Yeah. You cannot have a relationship with a stranger, right? So strangers are off the chart. So the very first group of people with whom you have a very casual relationship are your acquaintances. Just people you know. Here are your acquaintances. That's level number one. Relationship number one, people I know. My acquaintances. QU, acquaintances. Then a relationship gets a little bit closer and we become friends. And I think you've all had friends of the opposite sex. And that's a fun friendship. We're friends. There's a friendship buddy. We're more than acquaintances. We're friends. Now, this is where our society muddies the water. In normal dating, as I've watched most people evolve in their dating, they jump from friendship to relationship dating. We're a couple. 
And we're in that relationship dating. And if you've ever been on a first date, a blind date or something like that, you know the awkwardness of that dating, right? You can sense it. It's palpable. It's awkward. It's because you're here. You've made a jump to relationship dating, and I'm going to tell you, you skipped a step. The awkwardness is because we're in matchmaking mode. It's like being at the zoo, and all of a sudden you're on display. And I know he's checking me out. And I know he's asking the question. He's looking at me saying, is this my eternal companion? And there's such an awkwardness to that. Because a foundation has not been laid. And so we go from, sometimes we go from acquaintances to relationship dating. Sometimes we have a base friendship and we go to relationship dating. And it's awkward and it's uncomfortable. And because of that awkwardness and uncomfortableness, many people just simply avoid it. And they don't date. Because of this. Now, relationship dating usually leads to engagement Engagement leads to marriage. So allow me to introduce a new rung on the ladder. And I just would plead with you to change a mentality. We've got to change the way we think about what is a date and where do relationships begin. So let me introduce you to perhaps one of the greatest scientific minds on the subject of marriage. Not a prophet, seer, revelator on the morality of marriage or the eternal role of marriage. This is a scientist. This is a man who studies marriage scientifically. He wants to digest it and break it down to its most element pieces, looking for what makes it work. After a lifetime of research and a Probably, I think he's got a 91% accuracy rating at predicting if a marriage will work. Ten, at least 30,000 couples. And he has predicted with a 91% accuracy whether or not they will stay together or divorce. And he's boiled it down to one simple prediction. He looks for one thing. If that one thing is present... He says they'll stay married, and 91% of the time he's right. He's found that there's one element more than any other that keep marriages together. It's not communication. We're getting there. Anyone want to guess what it is? Those of you who know, hold on. What is the one element that seems to keep marriages together? It is friendship. If they're friends. After studying marriage for a lifetime, digesting its many different parts, what it came down to is are they friends? Do they have a friendship? Friendship keeps couples together. It's friendship. Let me, let's read his words. I want you to see exactly what he taught. So here's 
Here we go. Ready? Read this with me. This is from chapter two of the book I've just held up. After years of scientific studying marriage, his conclusion is the following. Let's see if I can, I can't zoom in. Happy marriages are based on a deep friendship. By this, I mean, I was going to define it. By this, I mean a mutual respect for and enjoyment of each other's company. These couples tend to know each other intimately. They are well-versed in each other's likes, dislikes, personality quirks, hopes, and dreams. They have an abiding regard for each other and express this fondness just in the big, not just in the big ways, but through small gestures day in and day out. He's going to use a couple. I just don't want to focus on the couple, but he's going to speak about a particular couple. He says, this couple found ways to stay connected. They talk or text frequently throughout the day. When she has a doctor's appointment, he remembers to call to see how it went. When he has a meeting with an important client, she checks in to see how it fared. When they have chicken for dinner, he gives, she gives him drumsticks because she knows he likes them best. When he makes blueberry pancakes for the kids on Saturday morning, he'll leave the blueberries out of hers because he knows she doesn't like them. Although he's not religious, he accompanies her to church each Sunday because it's important to her. And although she's not crazy about spending a lot of time with their relatives, she has pursued a friendship with Nathaniel's mother and sisters because family matters so much to him. If all of this sounds humdrum and unromantic, it's anything but. In small but important ways, Olivia and Nathaniel are maintaining their friendship that is the foundation of their love. As a result, they have a marriage that is far more passionate than do couples who punctuate their lives together with romantic vacations and lavish anniversary gifts, but have fallen out of touch in their daily lives. Friendship fuels the flames of romance because it offers the best protection against feeling adversarial towards your spouse. Because Nathaniel and Olivia have kept their friendship strong despite the inevitable disagreements and irritations of married life, he goes on, they're experiencing what is known technically as positive sentiment override or PSO. This means that their positive thoughts about each other and their marriage are so pervasive that they tend to supersede their negative feelings. It takes much more significant conflict for them to lose their equilibrium as a couple than it would otherwise. Their positivity comes, their positivity causes them to feel optimistic about each other and their marriage, to have positive expectations about their lives together and to give each other the benefit of the doubt. Can I ask how many of your parents are still married? Okay, one at a time. Tell me what they do on a date. Tell me what your parents do on a date. Dakota? Go to the grocery store is a date for them because they get away. And what do they do the whole time? They talk. They laugh. They get a treat that they both like. That's friendship dating. 
How long have they been married? 24 years. 24 years, and they date like friends. Not romantically, right? Their dates are friendship dates. Keep going. Tell me what you do. your parents do on a date. Uh, when my dad was in the shop, she would go and sit in the shop and just talk while he was working. So I want to spend time with him, so I'm just going to go where he is so that we can just talk. That's not a four date, is it? That's a friendship date. And the whole focus isn't being romantic. The whole focus is what? Vacation. Their friendship. Couple more. Tell me what your parents do on a date. Bowling. Now that could be dangerous if one likes bowling and the other doesn't, right? But what they found is that this is something we both like. And it's not that awkward, hey, let's get together. Let's go on a date and go bowling. It's a matter of building a friendship. Are you starting to see a picture? If you look at what keeps couples together, it's the step we skip. It's almost universally the step we skip when we're dating. We usually go right to relationship dating, where the focus is, are we a match? Are you my match? Am I your match? Do we go well together? Are we a match? You're focused on the connection and the relationship. You're focused on the match. Instead of being focused on the person as an individual and as a friend. Let me give you an example. Here's a spiritual example. Lamoni walks in, or sorry, Ammon walks into Lamoni's kingdom. Tell me what his desire was. He's captured, he's thrown in his jail, he's brought before Lamoni. What are you doing here? What was his answer? Before he even says service, before he even brings up the word service, he says something else. I desire to dwell among this people, perhaps even until the day that I die. Give me synonyms for what he was trying to say and put it in a dating environment. I want you in my life, whether you join my church or not. Even if you don't join my church, I'm still interested in you. Now take that into a dating world. There comes a point where I need to know if we're a match. That's going to be pitfall number two. Um, you all have friends you wouldn't marry, would, do, do you? We all have friends we wouldn't marry because we're not a match. We're friends, but we're not a match. So that's going to be pitfall number two. But the problem is we never even look at the friendship. We don't start building the friendship. We start building the relationship. And that's what makes dating awkward and uncomfortable. Instead of enjoying being with a human being that has incredible traits, and I'd really just like to get to know the person, whether we're a match or not, I would like you in my life. That's friendship dating. Someday we'll decide if we're a match. I'm not interested necessarily in knowing are we a match. I'm interested in you. I'd like to get to know you. Now, is there an awkwardness to that? Is that as awkward 
as jumping into a relationship dating environment, when you've created the expectation of simply building friendship. Do you see what's broken in our society? I would suggest pitfall number one is we skip what might be one of the most important steps. We skip friendship dating. I don't believe Heavenly Father believes in soulmates. I think there's lots of matches out there. I don't believe there's, there was only one match for me. I believe there were lots of matches. But I also believe that what keeps my wife and I together is an abiding friendship. She is genuinely my dearest friend. I would rather be with her than anyone else on this planet. And it's that friendship that fuels romance and relationship and marriage. So my suggestion to you is if friendship keeps marriages together, why are we skipping that step? Why does everyone I know jump right to relationship dating? Why does our society, why has our society created this expectation that dating is relationship dating? Let me give an example. My daughter just barely went on a date um, with someone we all know is not a good match for her. And she was nervous to tell mom and dad that she went on a date with him because she was nervous what we would think. And I just simply said, oh, so you went on a date. No, 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 it wasn't a date, dad. We are just friends. So let's digest that statement. It wasn't a date, dad. We're just friends. Tell me what she meant by that. We're not in a relationship. We're not dating, so we can't date. And I just, how many times have I had this conversation with my children? I said, it is the missing concept in our society that dating is to build friendship. In high school, how many relationships broke badly and they ended up hating each other? Because what should high school dating have been about? Friendship. But the moment we turned it into relationship, we almost doomed it from the beginning. We are missing a step. I think at least what I've experienced in my life is, or and watching my friends is that we almost seem to be so starved um, or so lonely sometimes in our lives that when we connect with someone and we see all these admirable traits about them, um, it's often confusing to know whether um, they're romantic feelings, like relationship feelings, or an appreciation for them as friends, but you enjoy the company. And so that's why in my life, a lot of times I've rushed into relationships because I don't have like a set standard of, you know, what qualities I like in a friend and what I like romantically. Yep. And even if I see any potential of connection, I rush to that relationship. Because, and I think relationships are instinctive. What did Heavenly Father say in the Garden of Eden? It is not good for man to be alone. 
I, think the, I don't think that was a commandment. I think that was a divine observation. It is not good for man to be alone. We instinctively are seek, seeking for companionship. The problem is we rush right over friendship to get to relationship. Kylie. Like what we call like the friend zone. Like they think when yep. they get friendship, it never goes above that. Like, yep. Stuck at friends. And I always tell people all the time, I'm like, well, my parents, like, when I see their relationship, like at least for me, like I've seen them, like my parents were a little bit different. They dated for like seven years. But their romantic period was before we were born. <laughs> but my parents are like best friends. Like they do things, you know, like I always tell them, I was like, but my parents' relationship is like a best friend relationship. They built that while they were dating, you know, kind of a thing. And like, I think my parents would still be friends to this, like my mom is friends with every one of her exes. I've met all of her ex-fiancés and her ex-boyfriends. Like, cause they just had that kind of friendship relationship. So we're not a match. I acknowledge that we were not a match and yet, and yet they're still we're still friends. I still care about you as an individual. And so that's just something that I've seen in people. I'm like, you shouldn't be scared. You know, like you can always go above friends. It's our generation that made that. Nobody else it is a, it's a mindset, and somewhere along the line, again, I believe you have an enemy. I believe your enemy is trying to mess with your godhood. And one of the ways to mess with godhood is to mess with dating and create an entire, just a generation of the wrong expectation. And so pitfall number one is hold on. Understand the difference and give the friendship time. So here's your assignment between now and next week. And a lot of my students struggle with this. Every time I teach this concept, they really struggle with what does a friendship date look like? So here's your assignment. I want you to go back in your mind to a date that was awkward. A date that was awkward. And then I want you to replan the date. Replan it in such a way that the awkwardness went away. What would you have done so that it wasn't awkward? What would the focus be? What would the activity be? How would you have made that date absolutely enjoyable for both of you? And I believe what you're forcing yourself to do is to plan a friendship date. You need to gain a picture. We've got to change our mindset. We've got to get, I, I need to see it. And that's why I bring up how your parents date. But I know you're going to brush that off and say, I could never get away with that with anyone I was dating. <clears throat> yes, you can. Your assignment over the next week is to plan a friendship date. What does it look like? Gain a picture. I see it. I see the vision. I see that I keep skipping an important step. Number three is friendship dating. Wow. So what does that look like? What does it feel like? What are the types of activities that would make it? Now, again, I can, I can tell you, but until you go through the activity of actually planning 
let me see it. How could a date I've been on that was awkward, what could I have done to just make a slightly different twist so that the focus was the friendship? I think you've all been on an awkward date where you didn't know what the motive or the purpose of the date was, but you've all been on a friendship activity. It's so funny because, okay, here are my male buddies. It's so easy with them because none of them are a match for me. It completely takes that off the table. You are clearly not my match. And so we, all we have is friendship. What muddies the water is this whole, are we a match? Could we be a match? Don't let it muddy the water. Ask yourself, what do I do with my buddies that makes it so enjoyable? What makes the friendship? Why do I crave hanging out with them? And then make that in a dating environment. It is my testimony that dating can be about friendship. Now we have an uphill battle because you're fighting an entire culture around you. Everyone you date has this mentality. So how would you plan the date without even telling them it's a friendship date? Show them what friendship dating is. And once the world gets a taste of it, they'll begin to realize, oh my goodness, I have been skipping one of the most important steps in dating. Now that, I believe, is a muscle you are not very good at flexing. And it's going to be a little uncomfortable and it might even be a little painful at first. But this is a muscle we need to learn to flex. It is my testimony. I, I, I believe his science is right. I believe his science is dead on. Friendship keeps couples together. Therefore, why not start? Why not learn the skill of building the friendship? Why not fix exactly what he described? It's so muddy because there's this element of you might be my eternal companion. But I want to build a friendship. How do I push this off the burner and build a friendship? How can I be, how can I get to the point where whether we're a match or not, I'd like to get to know you. I'd like to get to know who you are and be friends. Your assignment is to plan that. Come back next week, having stretched that muscle. Now I'm gonna tell you, that's a muscle you haven't stretched much, so it's gonna be really sore when you try and use it a lot. Get better, get better at what you do with your buddies that's so easy, and then turn around and do it in a dating environment. Get better at pushing the romance, the relationship, the match finding off for a moment and creating an environment where she, he, everyone knows this is comfortable.
This is enjoyable. I would do this again. I feel comfortable because it's about friendship. With all my soul, I testify. Friendship keeps couples together. Don't skip that step when you're dating. Pitfall number one, skipping friendship dating.